welcome to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, my friend, I had the pleasure of sitting down with my mate Doug Beerer, who Doug and I worked together on a training project. I think it was Zen Framework 2 several years ago, and we sort of started to get to know each other then. And over that time, you know, as you do in tech, you sort of chat over Twitter, chat over email, all those things. Well, he was kind enough to sit down with me, and wow, what an episode it was. We harked back to days gone by of things like he shared with me how he taught himself assembler whilst on sort of working late night shifts. He wrote code in a combination of basic and assembler going back to 1979, 1982. He, like some friends of mine, used a TRS-80 and a Commodore 64. There was just so much, so much, so much going on. We talked so much about software. We talked about like the 90s with like Microsoft versus Unix and Linux and so forth. He shared some interesting tidbits about file sharing in Windows versus in Novell, if you're old enough to remember Novell, Dr. DOS versus MS-DOS. There was just so much going on. So anyway, I won't go on. This is a great episode. I really love it. Again, a bit of a rolling one, but generally pretty much on point for the whole episode. It's fantastic. I know you're going to love listening to Doug. And it's over to the episode. Cue the intro music. to learn the essentials of developing and deploying applications with Docker Compose, especially if you've been struggling to figure out what you need to know while Googling, searching Stack Overflow, and various other forums, then you'll love Deploy with Docker Compose. It's a free book and course that teaches you the essentials of building images and deployment configurations, tagging images, and pushing them to remote container registries, how to debug applications running inside containers, how to debug containers when they don't work as expected, and how to deploy your application to a production environment or any other environment using Docker Compose. Now, it doesn't cover every possible Docker command, nor does it go absolutely super duper deep in depth about anything that you could know. It just covers the essentials that you need to know so that you can deploy your first application with confidence. And you also get a host of supporting information, tips, tricks, and pointers to help you out when you get stuck. Check it out today at deploywithdockercompose.com. You've heard of the biorhythms, mm. yeah, yeah. So, so everyone has their own, you know, their own. For me, morning, morning is the time to do development and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, you know, first, like the first two hours, and I'm like right on it. And then after that, it slowly kind of goes like this. And mm. then in the afternoon, uh, up a little bit, but then three, four o'clock, I'm I'm crashing. Okay. So is it? I guess that's a good thing to kick off the, the conversation with. Has it always been right. that way or did you sort of notice that over time? Because I guess in the in 
the typical, well, I'll say male because we're both male youth. It's you sort of just get into it and there's this sort of expectation that you just go. But I've found, at least for myself, being a little bit over mid forties, <clears throat> a little bit, um, that you sort of start to notice your rhythms more and more, maybe like sort of into the thirties and especially in the forties is I just work well here. I don't work well there. Was it similar for you? And yeah, how did it, that affect your approach to development? Yes. Yeah, similar, similar for me, because I, I'd say when I was in my twenties, um, well, when I was in my twenties, I was, I was in a rock band, right? So you were in rock. a rock band in your twenties. Oh yeah. Hard, hard, wow. hard rock, punk, punk rock band. Mm -hmm. Um, just just when the punk movement first started um mm -hmm. and you know of course in, in new york city there's like a lot of stuff going on we were we were just about six hours away from new york and there's a lot of stuff going on you know like lou reed velvet mm -hmm. underground wow. iggy pop like, mm -hmm. like all of that well iggy, actually iggy was in detroit uh so we were like like full-on full-on punkers and mm -hmm. then so everyone was at that time everyone was wearing their hair long this is like the the 70s right late 70s mm -hmm. And and when I was in high school, hair long, right? That that was yeah. that was the norm, actually. Um, but then when we started this punk rock band, we cut our hair like really short, and and that was considered radical at the time. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, so I, I I'd say you know I had like this. We would practice in the evening, and then we would just like get pumped, you know, and really psyched. So I guess the biorhythms really were not. Didn't really notice because I was going on adrenaline, you know, rehearsals. Okay. And then when we played out and the, the nightclubs and all of that and the, you know, the roar of the crowd, so to speak, um, it lasted about three years, I'd say three years. Yeah. Cause I could and never then, do the, like the, the, the early mornings. Like I'd have, I, yeah, fell into that sort of phase of going out at like clubs and stuff. And I had friends <laughs> who could stay at all night long maybe crash for two hours, get up and go again. I couldn't, if I went past about two or 3 AM, that was it. My next day was <laughs> wiped out until maybe two or three in the afternoon. So I, I don't know. I've never had that capacity to sort of pull back up again, whether it yeah. was partying or work, whether like <laughs> I had a, uh, I worked for this fellow once it was, I never did all nighters. I just never could. Yeah. And I think yeah. I was heavily influenced by a nutritionist I went to see years ago who she said, yeah. no, 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 I don't do that. I just organize myself. So I don't need to do that. And, yeah, yeah. um, but I worked for this fellow who everything was urgent. Everything had to be done. And this yeah. week, I think it was, I, I, my memory is like a hundred hours or something Yeah, of like, there was virtually no sleep. I was drinking coffee nearly constantly. Yeah. And I lived yeah. in a little flat with a friend, not far from where I was working and yeah. it was it was a Saturday night, I think, and a, and a friend of mine, we used to kind of party quite a bit and he would, yeah. he lived out of town and he turned up on the weekends and he said, look, I'll be over in five minutes or whatever. Yeah. And so anyway, he, I'm lying on the floor because I was just really, I just thought I was really tired and I'm kind yeah. of like the phone nursed under my head because yes, kids phones once connected to a wall and they had a cable yeah. and all that <laughs> yeah that's right yeah that's right <laughs> back in the day um <laughs> back in the I, day right. and i just thought i'm tired and i was just leaning on it and which should have told me something if i had to lean on a phone to hold it uh, and, my, and my friend came in and he and all i remember is at the time is he looks at me sees him on the floor and then all of a sudden his eyes drew really wide and he's like <laughs> get up we're going to get some food da, 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 da. 
anyway, <laughs> after I've sort of woken up a bit and sort of kind of come to my senses, I said, yeah, why were you so pushy to get me here anyway? He said, what do you mean? Why? I said, well, yeah. I was just really tired on a call. He said, no, no. When I came in and found you on the floor, you were shaking every, like all of you was just shaking on the floor. Wow. I said, I was wow. what? He said, yeah, <laughs> I, I saw you lying on the floor attempting to hold a phone and literally all of you has just got this sort of soft little shake to it. Wow. 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 And I said, um, <laughs> this whole like mega work weeks, I don't think they're really healthy. <laughs> so it was yeah. at that point I said, just no, I'm just not. Well, I, I, I have a one point where um, I was doing a, this. This is one of my first commercial projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it was a group of artists that I was working with. And it, we were kind of like a, a circle, you know, the band, the band members, the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was doing a uh, uh, setting up an accounting program for them. And at the time it was uh, a TRS-80 uh, Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like one of the first ones to have an actual disc drive. Like, whoa, whoa, a disc drive, right? And we're talking like, yeah. discs like uh-huh. this big yep. um and so um I, I started working working uh you know for them you know, doing this accounting program and it was in mm-hmm. basic and assembler because at the time if you didn't do assembler you, know, you couldn't get any 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 kind of performance at all so that'd be assembler and basic okay um and so what happened was see they they were like i mean they're like full-blown artists they're like real real true artists i mean like with wild hair and you know <laughs> you know, the, the image of an artist, right? That's what these guys. Um, and so I ended up doing the, um, this one guy, the owner of the studio, he called it submarining. And you would start working. And because it, the studio was like, there was no window. Uh, he had windows, but they were like obscured with shelves and books and stuff like that. It was like completely enclosed. Um, and so there's no light coming in other than the light within the studio. And so you, you had no idea what time it was, like, like a Las Vegas casino, right? They, yeah. they deliberately do that so you lose track of time. Mm-hmm. And so I was working there and it'd be like, um, okay, okay, I'm done for the day. What time is it? Oh, it's five. Okay, five o'clock, right? Next, next day, six. Next day, seven. It, it, eventually, I went around the clock. And, and they're the ones that introduced me to strong coffee. So it's like, yeah, from that wow. point on, it's like that. And then later, I actually got a job. Uh, part-time at a uh, nursing home as a night attendant. So I used to put, and, and then this is later, later. And I had um, graduated to a Commodore, Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing like 6502 programming with that. And so I stuck, stuck the Commodore in my backpack and I had this little green screen monitor about this big. I stuck that in the backpack and I was on a bicycle road to work yeah, and then, you know, make sure all the residents were taken care of. I had to do the rounds every hour. And I mm-hmm. just like program, I taught myself programming, assembler programming at that, uh, at the nursing home at night. At night. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. That's just, that is the most wicked story. Yeah. And, and so wow. they had like a, a really great assembler, uh, you know, for the 64. Oh, and then the other thing is you, the 64 was one of the first that had a, a MIDI interface. So I could attach mm-hmm. it to my keyboards. So when we did our our um, our shows, like I had like I was just full computerized setup, and this was like in 1980, and and nobody like nobody had anything like that at that time, 1980, 1981. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a um, um, sequential circuits. Yeah, yeah, sequential circuits. They're the ones that they made. They made um, 
the Prophet 5, the, the Pro 1, and they had like a bunch of uh, sound pedals. They're well known for their, uh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking uh, MXR, MXR sequential circuit. I can't remember which one, mm-hmm. MXR sequential circuits. I think the MIDI interface was sequential circuits. And then the, a lot of the hardware I had was MXR. And they were actually based in my hometown. The, mm-hmm. the MXR production, the main headquarters. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, uh, so we like we used to get all this really mint, you know, mint music equipment because uh, yeah. we had some connections there. Like everyone knows everyone in Rochester. It's a <laughs> relatively small town in upstate New York. I've heard of that place. I've heard yeah. of like so many names. Maybe it's just like TV well, and movies and stuff. Kodak and Xerox. One end of the town was Kodak. The other end was Xerox. Yes. Yeah. You, you either worked for one or the other, or you worked for a company that supplied one or the other. And so my father was a was a Kodak man. That sounds like here <laughs> in uh, here in Nuremberg. Usually, if you talk to an expat, because the, the place uh-huh. is not full of them, it's not like Berlin or yeah. Munich. I'm not as familiar, though. I live a lot closer to Munich, uh, being uh-huh. down south in Bavaria. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm more familiar with the story of Berlin. I guess it's like the capital city of most countries that I've ever been to. Is kind of a part of the country but kind of a country within a country sort of thing yeah but i'm not sure about munich but yeah around here though yeah it's oh no like expats and locals if you talk to them you've got a high likelihood that they'll say that they work for adidas or siemens Uh uh because they're like the Uh um, as far as i know like the major employers though siemens is sort of throughout nuremberg i'm not actually quite sure where it's based i should yeah. know after 10 years living in germany and adidas <laughs> is like there's there's a neighboring town and it's then a bit further so it's like yeah half an hour northish i think but like it's being such a massive company yeah you talk to people and they say oh yeah i work at siemens right 50 50 and someone <laughs> that oh actually no thinking about it, it's more it's probably like 70, 30, 60, 40 Siemens, and then Adidas. Uh-huh. And it just yeah, becomes yeah, this running yeah. gag after a while going, so which one do you work at? And they say, oh, I uh-huh. work at some local company. And you're like, really? <laughs> yeah. Such a shock. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, now this funny. is this is really fascinating because one, it, it's going back to that sort of that, that hardware where admittedly I didn't program on it. I, my um, friends of mine had, yeah. uh, had those and we played games on them. Well, we uh-huh, had the, uh-huh. I, think, I think it was the Commodore 64. You had the tape yeah, and 64. you played the tape to load the game and then you had to wait for a bit. So we'd go off and do something else and <laughs> like drink something full of sugar and whatnot and then come back when the tape had, or the, the computer had read enough info off the tape to get the game loaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I want to circle back just for a second. Like you said, basic and assembler. I'd never heard anybody mention those two in the same breath before it was always like c and assembler or ada and assembler but never basic and assembler well see at the at the time um the all the micros you know we're talking like you know 79 80 81 82 right that that time frame Mm -hmm. they all had basic and rom Mm -hmm. so basic kind of came with the computer uh so it made sense to to use that for the you know the kind of like the because programming a graphic display in in assemblers is a nightmare. Mm. You know, I, I, I didn't want to touch that. 
So yeah. I let basic do that. And then I used assembler for the key, uh, the key keyboard, the, the response for the keyboard. Wow. So, and, and way you did it in basic was they had a command called peak and poke. I think I've heard of those. That is and, testing and my what memory. What it did was it, it literally put a byte into a specific place in memory, wherever you told it to put it, it put it. So what I did was I, I had to um, hand assemble my assembler code into um, bytes, into machine code, actually. Yeah. And then, <laughs> which was an interesting process until an assembler, they finally came out with an assembler. Oh, okay, great. I don't have to do it myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then you had your, your machine code and then you just pop that into the basic program. And the first part of the basic program was this huge, huge uh, poke statement. And you just like yeah. poke yeah. The, the, the assembler code in, and then, then you could run it, which is kind of cool. You could run Very. it directly from basic. Oh, wow. I'm just sitting there just tripping out on this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> wild. It's pretty. Then later, later, um, I got a, so I worked for Radio Shack actually for, for a while and, mm-hmm. and even at their computer center. And so later I got, um, it was called a color computer mm-hmm. and it was based on a Motorola 6809, which had, see, all of the computer uh, chips up to that time had an 8-bit bus, right, which was, you know, very limiting. Um, and even, even the Intel, the Intel at the time was 8-bit. Um, and so the TRS-80, see, TRS-80 was based on the Intel uh, 8080, no, 80, yeah, 8080 architecture. Um, Z80, I'm sorry, Z80, Z80 architecture was 8-bit. And then later the 8080 came out, which was 16-bit. So the Motorola 6809 had an 8-bit bus, but internally it was 16-bit. Wow. Okay. And it was like, there was nothing else like it at the time. Uh, and I was like, whoa, this is like really intense. And it's one of those things. It's like, why didn't they win the race? They should have won the race over Intel. It was far superior mm. to anything Intel was coming out with at the time. But that's not uncommon, though, I think, in, in no, the history no. of, well, probably everything. But I remember- Max and VHS. Yeah. And was it Token Ring over TCP IP or something, I think? Yeah. And the Someone IPX protocol, the IPX yeah. protocol in TCP IP1, it's like, well, because IPX, you didn't have to put in the, it's, it self-addressed it based on the MAC address. It's like, hey, that makes sense. It's unique. It's going to be mm. unique. Okay. Uh, amazing, isn't it? So anyway, yeah. so I was programming the 6809 and uh, um, what, working at Radio Shack, I like, was getting into electronics and I had this... Um, a couple, a couple assistants. Uh, one of them was this codec engineer, electronics engineer, and he came into the shop. He's like shopping, every, you know, all the time. He's like a regular there, and so I, I he got me into designing circuits, digital circuits. So, mm-hmm. so uh, I would say, hey Ed, what? Um, look at this design. So I'd show him a design. He'd go, no, 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 got to do this and this. So he'd like he'd correct it. You know, to, to make it right. Then I buy the chips, you know, Radio Shack, because, you know, I got a discount. And I designed this digital circuit. So I designed this um, circuit that recorded um, sounds onto the computer and, and then played them back. And, of course, I was mm-hmm. using that as part of our performance, right? Um, and, and this was like 80, 1980, 81. And it was like, like nothing like it. Nothing like it. Is that like, um, this might be completely far afield, but I'm, yeah. I'm a 
partly through my kids. I'm a big fan of Ed Sheeran, and he uses some this this uh, um, box. I don't know what you, you use the term for it, but he controls it all with his feet. And I, it seems to be a lot of his songs are like a series of pieces that uh, like he can do a one man show. And his one man shows, are, uh-huh. personally, I think they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, besides the fact it's almost literally just him. Um, <laughs> we'll start off playing something and like a pattern that repeats and he'll record that into uh-huh. this box. Yeah, and then he'll um, after he's finished recording that bit, he'll get that just to replay to play just to repeat ad nausea till the end of the song, yeah. I think. Or he fiddles and yeah, yeah. turns one bit off, turns one bit on, and then he'll record another bit. And so these bits together are sort mm-hmm. of like what we just say, like his his backing band playing the other parts, and then he'll just play the rest of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that is that what you are kind of doing, or how are you well, using these 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 circuits? Well, this was um, it, in the first kind of like the first iteration of that. And, and the reason I got into computer, computers was because of music. The, the nice. only reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because I, I was like, uh, I saw these, they, it, they had all of these different um, things available at the time. And a lot of it was home built and, you know, build your own circuit and kits and stuff like that. Um, and so, so that, that was my main, well, of course I took computer courses at, at college as well. Mm. Um, that I attended, uh, it was called Potsdam, which is one of the state university uh, institutions from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they had the, the third best computer program um, east of the Mississippi. It was behind MIT and Carnegie Mellon. Wow. So it was, it was like a totally yeah. amazing computer. But they also had a music school. And that's the reason I went there, because I, I love music. I love computers. That's a really nice combination. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. Um, and so later, um, the, the stuff of the sound chip was just a, an experiment. It was kind of a fun, you know, fun thing to do, but not nothing really serious. But mm-hmm. the thing that really got my attention was there was this company called Paya, P-A-I-A, out of Oklahoma. And they produced um, a computer that attached to a, uh, a synthesizer. And see, at the time, the, the keyboards, the computer or the the um, the music keyboards, there was just like um, these metal, very thin metal rods. They're like, like the thickness of a, of a pin, basically, mm-hmm. like that thick. And they had like two of them and they had a bus here and a bus here. And so basically when you pressed it down, you, you, you closed the circuit. And then they determined the, how, like how far you are would, would, would yield a voltage level. Mm-hmm. And then that, that would, um, would drive the synthesizer. So that's how the, the keys worked at the time. Um, but obviously that's a very you know, clunky arrangement and very expensive and hard to maintain. So this guy came up with the idea of, well, what if we make the computers uh, or the keyboards like computer keyboards? So make the music keyboards like computer keyboards and they'll return um, a, uh, a binary code. Mm-hmm. So when you press the key down, it would return a binary code. So if you have an 88 key keyboard, it's no big deal. 256, 255, um, you know, bits in an 8-bit you know, uh, system. Mm-hmm. So as an 88 key keyboard is no big deal. You know, we, we can produce those codes easily. So what they did was they, they set it up so this keyboard would then produce a code. The code would go to the computer. The computer would produce a voltage, and then that would drive the oscillators in the synthesizer. 
Okay. So it was like, at, at the time, it was like, whoa, whoa, this is like, wow. You know, it's like, yeah. it was like a huge breakthrough. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, then the next step was, well, hey, if it's going through the computer anyway, well, why don't we just record the byte sequence? Mm-hmm. Now we've got a sequencer. Hmm. And that, that, you know, kind of all, all evolved from there. So I wrote a little program that, that recorded the, the keystrokes. Yeah. Right. And then just played them back on the, on the, on the synthesizer. Ah. And it was at the time that this little computer, this little computer had four, four K of Ram. <laughs> and it was huge. And who needs more than that anyway? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. So I had to write this program that would record keystrokes, but the whole thing had to be within 4K of RAM. I've got to be honest. I came in like after that phase. So I, I've always read the stories of, yeah, well, we had to keep within X amount. We had to keep within this. And I've never had to do that. So I don't have the, what would you say, yeah. like a practical reference to that. So what yeah, was that? Yeah. What was that like? Like saying, uh, and I might just be completely open, opening myself up to look like a goose at this point, as it were, but saying, well, I have this amount. How do you then know I, you know, that you're keeping within that or you're keeping safely within that amount? How yeah. do you, like, well, what was the process you went through to do that? Oh man. It was like, it was like, uh, you, you know, those, um, those, those Chinese puzzles where you like move the square and then you can move another mm-hmm. one until mm-hmm. you finally get the, the shape organized or yeah. like a Rubik's cube, Rubik's cube, yeah. same idea. Uh, it was, it was like that. So basically it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to move the bites around. And then once we've done this, then we're gonna have to get rid of this and then use that for something else. And then, you know, it's like wow. just constantly shuffling things around. Yeah. And, and of course, later, later then of course, with the disc drives and all of that, you, you, you had places to store things, but at the time it was like, no, it had to all be in memory. It had to all work. And that's it. That's all you had. Because it, yeah. like, I, I would love to, in some ways, do, or sort of be forced to do that, maybe with like embedded Linux development. I don't know, for something. Yeah. Actually, I speculate on, I saw this fella. This is a slight segue, and I'll come right back around. It's very late. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. If I don't, catch me and I'll come back. Um, <laughs> okay. But I thought a lot about, you know, like you can get uh, solar panel installations where they're on, like completely cover your roof or yeah. something on uh, a balcony. And I watched yeah, this fellow yeah, yeah. make on like one of the random YouTube channels that the countless ones that exist. And yeah. he put together his own, like he had the solar panels, I think he bought himself. Yeah. Uh, and then he put together a battery made from batteries from laptops, I think. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. He, he, he was was knowledgeable enough, maybe like an electrical engineer, yeah, to, to put it all together. And then I think he said he wrote the software that uh, b- 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 managed. What was it like converting the, the current from the yeah. panel to the battery and whatnot, and then measuring like, and then create like a little bit of an admin tool to say, okay, this uh-huh. much power has come through. This one's this is the load wow. current load of the battery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So I kind of often wonder doing something like that to try and get more of an appreciation for how these things work. So segueing uh-huh. back now. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, haven't gotten around it. So I'm kind of, I would like to learn that to get a better appreciation because yeah. when yeah. I was at a previous job, um, had often fiddled with like I started, I realized there are a lot of threads that I'm talking about here. I <laughs> sense. Um yeah. 
when I got into sort of computing more properly, I started fiddling with like an Apple II and IIc many, many years oh, ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Took a break. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Really sweet. Um, and then yeah. when I sort of took a break and then came back and I started with a, was it Windows 3, 1, 3, 11? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the bad old days. Well, I, th I think they were kind of good in comparison to my Windows 95 experience. <laughs> but that experience was good because then it led me to Linux because Windows 95, for me anyway, my own experience, yeah. uh, just crashed virtually every uh, half hour. Um, yeah, yeah. Trying to think how I'm tying all this together because my train of thought is kind of falling off the tracks. Um, <laughs> oh, damn, I swear I, I do this once an episode. I just lose my train of thought. Um, you, see, you talk about solar, solar, and then you talk about measuring voltage. That's uh, right. That's right. And then we get onto Linux. Anyway, pulling it back around yeah. again. So I totally don't know. I should write these things down and just look at it. It was something, <laughs> it was something with the Linux thread. Yeah. Um, ah, there we are. Yeah. And so I'd kind of done a lot of fiddling of sort of setting up web servers and various things you can do with Linux, but never yeah, did yeah, this yeah. full sysadmin route to fully appreciate uh like so thoroughly how everything works together what the various components are yeah and how the hardware and the software interact properly i'd kind of done yeah, a lot yeah. of php so had the liberty i guess of not necessarily having to dive too deeply at least on the projects i was on yeah. i then said to one boss i want to change that and i wanted to take a sysadmin course and he was super excited he was just it's like finally he's like wow. so many developers just don't know beans they do their code that's that he said, yeah. it's great. Well, that's that true. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. Well, he was excited. He's like, good that people want to better appreciate where their software sits in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I kind of went that way, but uh -huh. I still have a desire to time allowing with two kids, family and all that stuff. It's yeah. not always easy yeah. to just grab the time. But to, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. To learn that. So I'm happy to sit here and just like learn more. So I guess if you could, what is it like, perhaps it, I guess it's been some time since you've sort of worked with such constraints. Yeah. What yeah. is it yeah, like it, kind of working in that way? Like, like coding in that, in that way? Is it just, uh, like some people seem to talk about it very affectionately. Like, you know, I really had to work really hard and I really had to think about it. Others are, yeah. I'm glad I never have to do that again. What was it like for you? Well, the, the, the thing the thing I liked about Assembler is is it's so pure. Mm. You know, it's just absolutely crystal clear, pure. There's no ambiguity whatsoever. It's like wow. It's like you know, jump. Mm -hmm. okay. Your program pointer goes from this to that. Mm -hmm. You know, or you know, you're, you're moving a byte somewhere. It, it's it's like. Every command is very, very exact, and it does just one thing. That's it. Uh, and kind of like putting in together like these little building blocks, um, and then then when you you finally you know get it get it working, it's like uh, it's so fast. You know, in fact, I was talking to um, one of the developers I, I work with. Um, I'm doing some consulting for a company called GSpan, mm -hmm. right? And so that's kind of like my, my, my day job. So I, I do, uh, do some, some work with them. Um, and, and I was talking to one of the engineers and we were kind of, 
it, it's, it's interesting right now. You don't have to worry about how much memory you're taking. You don't have to worry about how much disk space you're taking because, oh, okay, here, uh, let's see what I've got. I guess I don't, I, I move things around. Hang on, I, I'll, I'll show you. No. Oh yeah, there we go, there we go, okay. So remember I was talking about 4K mm -hmm. and it's like, <laughs> you know, like this big. And then it's like 128 gig. So developers now, they, they literally don't care. And if their code is like, you know, okay. I, I, I hate to be putting languages down. Okay. But I did like a year of Python. Yep. You know, for this one project. And oh, man, it's so dog slow. I have no idea why people like Python. <laughs> sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Python people that are listening to this, you know, call me a PHP purist, but it, it just runs rings around Python. No, mm -hmm. no, no questions asked. Right. But people don't care because what you do is you just put it on a higher power computer. That was definitely, you know? yeah, sorry. And so then, so what you, what we've got now is, um, okay. Assembly language is pure, hundred percent pure. It's, yep. it's the fastest possible you could write. Okay. But how long does it take to develop? Like this accounting program, I told you it, it was like a year. Mm -hmm. And then this, this uh, sequencer program that took me like another year. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then you've got C, right? C plus plus. Okay. Right. So now, you know, we're getting, um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a compromise, right? It has to do the compiling, compiling. So you've got your optimizing compilers, right? And they produce codes pretty close to what you could have done in assembler, hmm. but you could, you could do it faster in assembler. Yeah. You could make it run faster, but it's not portable. And, you know, it, it's, it's so doggone long to heart to, to, to run it and to troubleshoot and all of that. Okay. So C, C, C plus plus. Okay. And then you've got <clears throat> PHP, which is written in C. Hmm. Okay. So now I've got a layer here and another layer and then another layer. Hmm. And then you've got your frameworks, right? So you've got Laminus, hmm. you've got Laravel, you've got Symphony. Okay. There's another layer on top of that. And then mm -hmm. you've got your your superstructures, like your blah, blah, blah as a service, right? Whatever, mm -hmm. right? They're all running. So it's a house of cards. It's a house of cards, Matthew. Mm. You know? And, and the thing is, it's like bad code on top of bad code on top of bad code. And now we've got like Microsoft, what do they call it? Copilot, I think. Uh, I have heard the term, but I'm not in yeah. that space much. So that's where they, 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 because they took over GitHub. <clears throat> uh, so one yeah, of the yeah, first yeah. things they did was they yes. created a program yes, sorry. that scanned all the code in GitHub that's public, supposedly, hope we hope. Um, and then right. they, they use that to generate code. So you just say, okay, I, I'm writing this. And then it just grabs all these bits of code and throws it together. Boom. Okay, now we've got an instant application. Okay. So yes. bad code on top of bad code on top of bad code on top of bad code. Yeah. Yeah, That that's... That's a fair point. It doesn't matter. And that's the frustrating thing. It doesn't matter because you just get an, a faster processor. And then, you know, pretty soon, you know, hopefully the planet doesn't just 
you know, doesn't become uninhabitable by that time. Uh, New Zealand is looking very good right now. Uh, okay. That aside, um, <laughs> that aside, um, you, you eventually we're going to have like quantum computers mm. and we're going to have trinary computers instead of binary computers, you know, who knows what we're going to have biological components, you know? And so it, things will just get faster and faster and faster. We'll have more and more space. So it just doesn't matter. And, and to me being a purist and a summer mm. purist, it's just very frustrating. Yeah. That's a, that was something I, I think it was when I was back in Australia, when was that 15 odd years ago? Time flies uh-huh. when you're having fun. Um, <laughs> and it was the, I, I think in the, I'll try and remember exactly when that was. When was that? Post 2000, 2000 to 2010. No, 2000 to 2007. Ended up in the uh-huh. Czech Republic in late 2007, 2008. Uh, just an anecdotal uh-huh. reference. Beautiful you, you country. You sound like me, a digi- digital nomad. Well, it's the thing to do, right? You know, all you need is a laptop and a That's plane right. ticket kind of thing or a boat ticket or, um, and it was, I, I think around like the, it was the early 2000, it was this, just a, this accepted thing that, oh, well, just get more hardware and just throw more at it. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. I, my, it. my, my perception was there was the era of, it, it was like a rite of passage, uh, like a, and, and uh, a proper achievement if you could um, write an application that was with as few resources as possible. I think I'm, yeah. I remember yeah, listening yeah. to one of the people on the Security Now podcast. Still, uh-huh. I think these days, you know, oh, you know, Steve Gibson, I think is the fellow's name. Uh-huh. So, you know, how, how small and tight the application was. And then yeah, all that yeah. seemed to go out the window, like, oh, well, oh, don't worry about that. We need to ship now, ship now, ship now. And the yeah. only way you could do that is you just have That's to it. get rid of, was it one of the problems? What was that, that, that triangle of speed, performance, cost or something? And it's like, well, we'll just pick another thing that will move and just throw more hardware at it because yeah, all yeah, hardware yeah. is cheap. That's so it. Then you would see, at least for the domain I was in, which was web apps, you yeah. say that all my web apps are small in size, <clears throat> embarrassment, but <laughs> then you look in like the developer tools in the, in the network tab and you just watch the average size of these things just explode and like, well, oh, yeah. people are on fast computers and that's fine. And let's not worry about people with snow internet connections or on a old mobile device. Cause yeah, you know, I mean, they don't count, you know, just yeah, yeah, exactly. rationalize that away. Cause yeah, well, everybody yeah, yeah. has a fast computer with fast internet connection with <laughs> this sort of yeah or like everybody has what i have yeah 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 that's right that's right yeah you yeah as a developer you tend to think in terms okay here's what i've got in front of me and then it's like oh yeah well you know that's if, if somebody doesn't have that then but you know now now here's an interesting side a sidebar okay mm-hmm. and this is something that i always i always um make fun of my american uh colleagues mm-hmm. like the the, the 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 folks I'm dealing with in the states, um, they I, I, oh, and I'll do this with classes sometimes. Like they'll say, oh oh, you know, like the connections not not going very well, right, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I say, okay okay, well let me check my connection. So then I'll do a speed test, right, and um, uh, then I'll say, oh man, it's running so slow right now. It'll be like like 870 megabits per second, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my, my connection is one gig, a one gig connection. 
And and so I was like, oh, it's running slow. Look at Because see, in the States, there's no competition. In every area, they've got, there's like a cartel. Mm. They've got like three, three big, three or four big major, major, you know, providers. And they've kind of divided up the territory between them. So you'll get to like certain areas is only this one provider or another mm. area, just this, and that's it. And they have no incentive to improve their service. And so that like California, they're, you're mm. like, if you can get like a 50, 50 megabit per second connection in California, that's like, well, we're doing pretty good. It's like, mm. wait a minute. I'm in Thailand, which is like a third world country. Right. Yeah. And I've got a one gig fiber to the house connection. So that I, I I will say, and 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 I mean no disrespect by it, but the, increasingly over, especially in the last few years, the perception I have of of the US through maybe like movies and TV, yeah. and then the reality of what I've experienced and what you tell me and others tell me, it's it's like how do these two things slot together? Because they don't. And yeah, they don't. Especially when you have companies like was like Apple, Facebook, all that saying, you know, you can yeah. have amazingly fast connections. But then yeah. actually living there, you may not. No. How, how does this all slot together? This is yeah. Weird. Now, now, and, and here's another thing. This is this is uh related. It's related. Mm-hmm. Um okay, here in Thailand, right? Mm-hmm. You we well like, we we just took a trip to Chiang Mai last last week. Like kids were off from school. Uh, the school breaks are a little bit different over here because that gets more oriented towards the seasons. Um, so, you know, took a break, went up to Chiang Mai, which is in the mountains, you know, very beautiful city in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the right way, road construction, rebuilding a bridge, road construction, expanding motorway, right? Mm-hmm. Everywhere you go. Okay. And then just this morning, I was reading an article on Yahoo News, this bridge in... Uh, I can't remember the city. Okay. I think it was in, oh boy, now, now, now it's eluding me. Uh, But anyway, there's a bridge and it was probably Kentucky, maybe Tennessee, maybe. And the bridge collapsed in the U S and, and this is like, I've read of three bridges collapsing already this year. And I know what it's like to drive in my hometown, just like massive potholes in the road. which just don't get fixed. And so it's like, wait a minute, you know, in Thailand, a third world country, they're expanding the roads. They're fixing the roads. They're like building new infrastructure all the time. And this, this creates jobs for people because, you know, there's a lot of people that are unskilled. Um, So they provide jobs for people. And that's how they got got through COVID is they, they have these jobs, you know, jobs going all the time. Um, and they're outside, right? They're outside, so you know less danger of the the disease. Yeah. Government was providing uh, a salary mm-hmm. to the you know to the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they provided food. They provided uh, blankets, water, you know, all of that during COVID. Um, and then it's like now I look over to my uh-huh. my native country, right? Yep. And I'm going, whoa, you know, and it's it's just a sign a sign of the times. You know, sign of the times. So the, the we've heard of the fall of the Roman Empire, right? So mm. that, that's what we're seeing right now. Wow. Okay. I was going to say yeah. I'd like to pull like a, a a tech segue out of that, but I'm not sure how. Oh, I <laughs> we got into this, didn't we? Because of that. 
Yeah, I, it, it just seems fascinating that I, yeah. I think I appreciate the history of it. Didn't at least with the phone companies, didn't that have to do with the breakup of AT&T back in the day? And then they call it, what, what do they went from, was it AT&T and they called the baby bells, which then yeah. over the course of time morphed into, was it Verizon, Comcast and yeah, a series and, of and, other and companies? And AT&T is still, still a player. So what happened was <clears throat> it used to be that there was strong uh, antitrust laws. And yeah. so they prevent monopolies from forming. And so then that resulted in competition. When the company got too big, then mm-hmm. the, the, the government went after them and they said, hey, hey, wait a minute, you guys have to do something. You have to divest. You have to, you have to split up because you know, we have to have competition. If you don't have competition, then what's going to happen? Well, what happened is what ha- what's happening now. So those antitrust laws got weakened and watered down over the years, you know, mm-hmm. as uh, various interests uh, purchased <laughs> purchased other various interests. Um, So it's a purchased government. And um, they, uh, they uh, let the laws kind of lapse or get watered down or weakened, or in some cases expired, they just kind of let them go, let them go, let them go very quietly Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, but people don't really put two and two together. You know, they don't really see the big, big picture. Okay, well, if we do this, then this is going to happen 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is the companies just they they're too big now. They're too big and they're stifling all the competition. So you get like the, the mom and pop shops don't exist anymore. Uh, they used to grow a thousand three hundred different types of food in, in the US. Now the, the number of diverse, diverse unique crops is down to less than three hundred. Less than three hundred. Yeah. Yeah, so now it's like you have what's called monocropping. So you've got yeah. like just acres and acres and acres of just like the corn, same thing. wheat, you know, uh, sugar cane. Uh, and it used to be like, like oh, so many different crops, you know, and, mm-hmm. and reflecting the, the local name. Now, see, for example, here in Thailand, and, and, and I, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, Thailand's the greatest country on earth, but but it, it certainly got, there's certain things I've seen here, which which is used to be in, in the U.S., Hmm. Um, locally, locally produced food. So everything we eat here is locally produced. My, my wife goes to the market and, and you know, she, it's all grown. It's like they, they, they bring it in in trucks like three o'clock in the morning from the local villages, bring all the food into the, the central market. So everything we eat is locally produced, you know, and a lot of it is organic. So I, I actually think I'm eating more healthy now than I was before. Um, and, so, and I, yeah. I'm not saying I'm the healthiest person in the world, but I'm, <laughs> I'm 65, right? I'm 65. Really? So, I wouldn't have guessed. What? There's some gray hairs here. See? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, um, <laughs> so I, I've got some white at the back here and, and, and the <laughs> counterbalanced by the white at the front. I'm working on the Gandalf beard. I'm skipping through the gray, Gandalf the gray, straight through to Gandalf the white. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you well, go. I've been kind of rung in as the, um, I've been asked by some of my neighbors to, uh, to keep the beer going until Christmas at least. And they said, cause then I can <laughs> Santa for the, for the kids in the neighborhood. Um, so, all right, <laughs> just till go. Christmas at least. And then I can maybe, you know, sort of like strike the beard while I'm thinking about something, you know, like how would I do that? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I guess that doesn't really work too well just with audio only. It would work <laughs> video. Um, but uh, yeah, I was going to say, winding that back around to kind of maybe sort of more tech stuff. That's interesting what you said about the, the antitrust laws, because I 
was never a Microsoft fan. I'll yeah. be nuanced in how I answer this. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. We have to be careful, unfortunately. This, yeah. Yeah, and but I also want to be fair, though, and sure, and and frame it from the perspective of my experience, as opposed uh-huh. to saying it's bad, it's good, like these very, yeah. I would say, broad, broad sweeping statements. I'll say from my in my experience, this is what yeah. it was like for me. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. There you go. I mm-hmm. I try to be fair in that I've got a number of friends over the years, and they say, well, my experience is completely different to yours, and this is not uh-huh. wanting to be soft and not be not, not not controversial but not take a stand in any way just yeah yeah have a very wishy-washy opinion it's just they had very different ones so we had some great conversations but mine was um uh, like as, as i kind of touched on a bit earlier maybe yeah. it was just the computer i had which yeah cost a fortune and i don't know if it was really all that good so maybe it was expensive back then yeah five thousand dollars this thing cost me yeah, yeah. In today's money would be, I'm going to find out what that would be. And I don't think yeah. I want to know what that would be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably a few more, probably push that number up. Yeah. Um, yes. But it was a horrible experience, partly because this was the first computer that I bought and this was mine. It cost me $5,000 back in $1996. So yeah. what that would be with inflation now. Yeah. And it just always crashed. And I felt fortunate uh, at the time that I learned to touch type at school. Uh-huh. I said, why? Because I thought it was a girl's thing at the school. Hey, I was, a, yeah. I was a little little boy. That's what I kind of thought. Sorry, ladies. Um, but then mom said. Me too. Me too. In eighth grade. Yeah. Took a typing class. Well, F, we had. F, F, J, yeah. J, J. <laughs> that's the one. Um, and my mom said, do you want to go to uni? I said, whoa. Yeah, all my cousins went. Do you want to? Do you want to handwrite assignments which are like how many pages long, or do this all the time? I said yes. And the penny fell very quickly. I went, fine. This touch typing thing's pretty cool. All right. <laughs> but I felt fortunate having learned that. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I typed with one hand and and press Control S with the other hand. Yeah. And then, yeah. and this was using because the computer came with like the Windows ninety five Office bundle kind of thing. Uh-huh. It was called that at the time. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And and I'm sure from memory that even though it said it had what like partial save, the partial save didn't work because uh-huh. it sort of saved some things yeah. after some things that it didn't save that I knew I'd written before. So I, I was, I was thinking, <laughs> how do you save yep. a bit that I did later, but not a, a bit I did earlier, but then you saved a bit before that bit that you missed. And yeah. so it, just from it, it, it collectively, perhaps because yeah. of cost, and this was meant to be a new computer and it was my first one, it was meant to be fantastic and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Since the whole experience was bad, I, I, I guess I kind of really identified Microsoft as the core of it. Uh, Perhaps, mm. uh, but there was also a bit of the whole uh, like evil empire of Microsoft at the time. Sure. That was a yeah. thing that went around. So maybe there's a lot of that. So put all these things in together, um, yeah. and I appreciate it. At least my perception is it's a different company today than it was back then. Yeah, and yeah, I will tie this to the antitrust stuff. But I spent <laughs> a lot of time reading, kind of like tech press and so forth. Yeah, and so I guess through the what would it be? It was, it was into the 90s because was 
after years and the US government had through the antitrust laws, was it the Sherman antitrust laws had broken up IBM or to an extent, then they pursued Microsoft. But they, I think now getting to what you said, yeah, I, I think at the time there was enough like tech had been lobbying enough by that point yeah. that they almost broke up Microsoft, but they, it, it was dragged out for such a long period of time. And they were saying, yeah. oh, I don't think you really want to do that because is that really a good idea? And so yeah. they avoided too, it. Too big to fail, right? It's like, exactly. Yeah, where have we heard that before? <laughs> wow. Um, well, now, interesting. See, I, I actually worked for Novell for about 10 years. Yeah. And and so I that's how I got into the TCPIP networking stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually that's how I got into um Linux because at Novell one of my jobs was to teach um they called it uh Unixware. Yes. And Unixware was um Unix on a PC. And it was in, mm-hmm. in um uh it was uh, a partnership with the um SCO Santa Cruz mm-hmm. operation yep. which, and they had uh Unix running on a PC. So there's there's a joint venture that was formed, and the company is called Unixware, uh, and then that that was then just kind of reintegrated back at, back into Novell. So I, I taught mm-hmm. that. So I actually started using Unix on a PC in the in the early '90s, and then I just mm-hmm. kept going from there. And then from there I went to Linux, Red Hat Linux, and then just kept using it. So I, I actually only used Windows for testing basically ever since like 19, 1995. Wow! Just just for testing, I, I never used uh, Windows as an office thing, mm-hmm. you know. Aside from because it was always either Unix or Linux, yeah. For, from that point, so okay. Now, now getting back to Microsoft, yep. so um, uh, Novell acquired DR DOS. Yeah, and DR DOS had they had um, uh, it was. I can't even remember the name of the product, but it was a graphical interface. It was a windowing, windowing architecture, a multitasking mm-hmm. windowing architecture. Yep. Um, and what happened was it, it could run all of the programs that could run under MS-DOS, Microsoft DOS. But then at a certain point, the DR-DOS programs stopped working. Okay. But they did run under MS-DOS, but they would not run under DR-DOS. Right. Come to find out that Microsoft had made some changes to their uh, kernel, hmm. and then they didn't let anyone know. Yeah, yeah. And those changes caused programs to run under MS-DOS, but any other DOS, they didn't, all of a sudden just didn't run anymore. There were always yeah. stories about these hidden APIs and it's so It's not forth. our fault. No, it's... And it's... so basically the DR-DOS engineers had to reverse engineer MS-DOS to figure out what they changed, and then they changed it. But by then they'd started to lose momentum. Mm. And eventually they... And then there's a big lawsuit against Microsoft because of that, but antitrust. Mm. And that, that was... was the beginning, the beginning of the antitrust thing. And then later, Microsoft finally figured out there's something called networking. Yes. And then they, they put their, they put their eye on uh, Novell and they targeted Novell directly. Okay. Yeah. So like then they see the thing about Microsoft is they they've always been good at marketing. Novell marketing mm. was like, really sucked. 
<laughs> no, no marketing from beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft just like marketed, marketed the, you know, the bejesus out of them. Like they just ran circles around them. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, the thing is, uh, I remember back at the time when they, they were still truly competitive, right? Novell and Microsoft kind of neck mm-hmm. and neck. And we ran some tests. And, and at the time, Novell had acquired, uh, it was called Exelan. And Exelan had the patent for, for the TCP IP stack. So Novell mm-hmm. owned TCP IP. So they had a they had kind of like a a little bit of a leverage with Microsoft because Microsoft wanted to get into networking and yep. TCP IP was basically the way to go. So Novell said it, and then there was like this big thing about Microsoft was suing um one of the companies behind Linux. And they're mm-hmm. basically saying, you know, you're 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 using yep. TCP IP saying you can't do that, right? Because it's patent protective. Well, yeah, yeah, who holds the patent? So Novell stepped in and it said, ah, no, 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 no. Because Novell had acquired Exelan, which had the patent for TCP IP or core patents for TCP IP. Yep. And they also owned uh acquired Bell Labs, and Bell Labs had a whole bunch of other technology. So basically Novell had like a a hold on all of those patents and that, that prevented Microsoft from successfully suing these other companies. And that allowed Linux to, it gave Linux a a breath of fresh air and it let it, let it come to come to light. Otherwise it would have, Microsoft would have killed off Linux if they could have. Well, they sure tried for the longest time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. During the FUD years. But I I like to think that, and this is not like I'm, I'm not an Apple fanboy, but I kind of think in in some ways good things can come out of the, the weirdest and sometimes worst of situations. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that when um, Steve Jobs went back to Apple, was it when uh, Apple acquired Next? Yeah, that yeah. he went and had a had a chat to to Bill Gates, or was it called him directly and so forth, and had a conversation after such their fiery history as it was. Yeah, in, in yeah, yeah, prior. yeah. And at the time, it was like the US government was heavily after Microsoft. And I think almost had a complete case, if memory serves, to yeah. pursue antitrust law against them. Uh-huh. Um, and Apple had, was it $15 million? It would have lasted them a quarter, I think, and then they would have been bankrupt. Uh-huh. And I think this came up with something. This was part of the conversation. And so Bill Gates said, was it... I, I think it was, was it Microsoft invested 150 million into Apple. So then they get, no, no, we still have a competitor. Look, no, 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 you, we're not the only <laughs> one. See, look, they're a competitor over there. We'll give you some money, stay afloat. But I think on the basis of this is what I've read, as I say, yeah. I'm not a core player. I was not there at the time. Yeah. But what I heard reported was the idea was that just we'll keep them afloat just long enough such yeah. that we can get rid of this antitrust thing. And if they crash, well, who cares? And then, well, <laughs> sure enough, now Apple's, was it like a $2 trillion company or something like that? Oh, yeah, they're like way, way up there now. Yeah. And it's just the kind of a sense of perhaps, I, I think it's right to describe the like the irony of, of that choice. Yeah. And so in yeah. some ways, good things With can come of it. Po- but poetic justice. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like I'm not a, like I do have, Apple gear. I do like it. I prefer my Linux desktop, which I'm using, but yeah, yeah, there's a certain sense of poetic justice out of it all. But okay. Now let me, uh, I I forgot to mention, I was started, started talking about it and I kind of got sidetracked myself. Mm. Um, I was talking about, we ran some tests 
uh, when Microsoft was first getting into networking. Yep. And then, uh, and so they had this, um, they actually kind of like borrowed their networking technology from IBM because they had a joint venture with IBM. IBM had OS2 and Microsoft mm-hmm. was just coming out with NT right at the time. Yep. And so, so they actually partnered with IBM and IBM basically wrote their whole networking stack for them. And then they had this, they had this underlying architecture. Um, I wish I could remember the, the, uh, I'm forgetting the the core, but anyway, if you do a a packet trace, Mm. you can still see traces of the old IBM uh, packet structures. If you you do a, a packet, like use Wireshark or something, you do a packet trace of Microsoft. You can see some of the old IBM networking structures are still there. Uh, so anyway, we, we, we were doing some tests and what we noticed was that like in the benchmarks, the Microsoft server would, would appear to be like, we would copy like a, like a hundred mega, megabyte file, right? From one place mm-hmm. to another. And the Microsoft server would appear to have finished, right? And so in the benchmarks, it goes up like this and the Novell server is still like this. But then if you look at the packet trace, there's more packets being sent after it reported the file was already transmitted. There's like packets, packets kept going. And then finally, then they stopped and were like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So basically what they had done is they, they, they kind of Jimmy, Jimmy, the system Mm. so that it appeared, they reported that the file had been transferred, but it had not been transferred. There was a significant amount of traffic to follow. So it took them like a, took them like, like 30 seconds to transmit the file, whereas they reported in the first 10 seconds, oh, we're done. So would that have only worked on like Microsoft to Microsoft devices? Well, this, this is, yeah, this, this was, um, Microsoft networking. Uh, of course, because they would have only used Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, Windows okay. servers and Windows clients. That's it. Right. Sorry, realizing it. what I've just said. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. It's it's interesting. But but what was scary was that, see, the thing is, if you've got these tools saying that the file's been transferred, but it hasn't been transferred, then what does that mean about like file locking and file sharing and stuff like that? Doesn't that? Kind yeah, make you a little bit nervous. Yeah, like is it really locked or is it really not? Yeah, and is the whole file there? And maybe it's not there. And we're we're actually working on it now. We've got another system logged in that's doing some work on the same file at the same time. Hmm. But it's, it says it's transferred. Okay, well we're ready to do some yeah. modification. Yeah. Mm. Or backups as well. Like, have you really backed it up? It's like if yes, I do, yes. Like I'm going to do a backup, and then when the backup. Um, sends like a, a response or an event to say it's completed. Now yeah. I can shut the machine off or the connection yeah. or whatever. But yeah. if it's not and there's still more data to go, how good are the quality of your backups? I guess. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah. So there's some real, some real shady stuff going on. You know, at that time, um, and you know, we were you know did our due diligence and reported this. But the things were like preaching to the choir because the people we're talking to are already pro Nobel anyway, so mm-hmm. it didn't really matter that much. Um, and like I said, the, the the marketing just didn't get out, just didn't get out. So eventually, you know, Microsoft dominated in, in that market as well. Yeah, they had many ways of dominating from from memory. Although my memory at that time yeah. has faded quite a lot now, I do remember just anecdotally on that point. Yeah, um, I guess we should 
wind up shortly. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I probably, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a class in about an hour. <laughs> that in, yeah. I think, it, and, and again, this is, if I remember reading this correctly, just want to make sure I don't get, you know, don't get us sued or anything on me. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Just, just thinking about <laughs> As a podcast host, you know, the, the yes. key responsible person. Um, that with Windows 2000, I'm pretty sure that even though Microsoft was still in, I, I think at the time, the was it Unix Linux is bad. Um, yeah. The Windows, I read somewhere that the Windows 2000, though the core of the Windows 2000 networking stack was literally lifted from FreeBSD or NetBSD, I think, because it was on one of those, like, I think it was like OS News or Slashdot back in the day yeah. when I used to read that religiously. Uh -huh. They said that someone who was a network engineer said that, I, I, again, if memory serves, they noticed that the quality of networking in Windows 2000 had notably improved. And they're like, well, this is really fantastic. Let's have a look at it. As again, you said with Wireshark, yeah. they said they yeah, looked at yeah. it and said, that's funny because what would it be like the size of it? Was it like the packet headers and all the rest were identical in size to yeah. FreeBSD or something? And they're like, no, 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 no. If you give your own implementation, how are they exactly the same? And they said they, they looked at it enough yeah. and without actually working there or knowing someone who worked in that division at Microsoft said, yeah, yeah. well, I'll make the assumption that you have just, you've lifted it and yeah. then obviously made the relevant changes to integrate it within the rest of Windows. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the case of, well, if we couldn't do it good enough, well, they've already got it, so we'll just do that again. That's what I read, I think, on Slashdot somewhere. Well, you know what I noticed now in, in um, Windows 11, which you know, I <laughs> recently updated <clears throat> one of my computers to that. I had, for whatever reason, I was testing like two Wi-Fi. One was the internal, one was like a dongle, a Wi-Fi dongle. Um, and for the first time, I noticed both appeared in the bottom. And I've never seen that before in Windows. So apparently they figured out, hey, you can do load balancing. There's okay. this thing called load balancing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay, having said that, I mean, I'm yeah. laughing because, you know, Linux has been doing it since, in fact, I was doing it in, when I, I used Red Hat back in, my first Red Hat excursion <laughs> was 1999, okay, yeah. Red Hat. Um, yeah. and, and I was doing load balancing because I had like two modems. So it was like <laughs> trying to get some kind of, decent speed in my internet connections it was like horrible yep. at the time so i had the two two modems and i you know, did load balancing with with linux which mm -hmm. is like real easy to do but but i'm glad to see it i'm glad to see it yeah. that they that they have started to bring these features in at the you know just on a basic computer yeah. just standard windows 11 it's like wow you know two two adapters and they were they were kind of going back and forth and the connection mm -hmm. was better so oh. so you know kudos you know power to them yeah well, on that note, um, I guess we'll sort of bring it to a close. So oh. we were talking about exactly, uh, I say exactly for audio, uh, yes. we were talking about before we got, uh, when we we're organizing the, the session about a, uh, a giveaway to plug your yes. semi new book. I'll, yes. At this point, I'll hand it straight over to you, Doug. Okay. So, yeah, so it came out, it came out last year. Uh, just with, when 8.1 was coming about. So it's PHP 8, programming tips. No, oh, you can't see it backwards. Best practice and so on. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, the um, the reason why <clears throat> I think it's appropriate at this time is because 
the Zend announced, the Zend organization within Perforce announced uh, the end of life of PHP 7.4. And I'm kind of sad to see it go because it was such a great version. But um, you know, as things go, uh, they do have to keep up you know, with security, yeah. coding practices and that sort of thing. So, uh, so as of the end of this year, PHP 7.4 will be end of life. That doesn't mean that you can't stop that you have to stop using it. You can still yep. use it, of course, but but they won't have the updates you know, that you would expect to see. So the reason why this book is appropriate is because this book is all about going from seven to eight. Mm -hmm. So it's everything you need to know, um, the gotchas, the things that are going to make your code break, the differences. Um, and uh, the, that's the whole book. The whole book is about that, going from mm -hmm. seven to eight. So uh, I talked to my publisher, they got, they managed to finagle a discount. So um, I guess, Matthew, we can put it in the link. Yep. Put it in the link. We'll do that. We'll get all the details there, the book, everything. In the, in the link. And, and the, the discount will be good for uh, when the podcast go li goes live another two weeks following that. So, so folks, please. Oh, and then uh, we'll, we'll have a giveaway. Mm -hmm. So I guess, um, how, how do we want to do that, Matthew? Maybe the somebody in the maybe somebody that makes comments will count that as a an entry sure yeah how about yeah we do that uh to um i will what is it, like tweet out or something um about the giveaway i should say more than something i should be in that touch better prepared uh yes. so <laughs> i don't know like a comment on the book or the episode yeah most interesting go. most uh how many do we have sorry do you oh as far as I know, it's just one. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. How about we, I don't know, you and I can both judge like the most interesting sort of piece of feedback. There we go. That's cool. All right, but I'll, I'll get that a little bit more official and organized in the show notes for this episode. Okay. Um, and yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure to sit down and chat. I have made so many notes through the course of this episode uh, and I'll be going through again. So yeah, thank you very much for being my guest today. It's wonderful talking to you, Matthew. I mean, oh, you, you're 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 another old old timer, so to speak. Um, you've been with the the, the PHP community any, anyway for a long time, and it's uh, oh, uh, folks. I should also mention Matthew helped me with the uh, tech writing uh, editing for the book, and Matthew, your feedback was just so spot on, so thorough. I really really appreciate it. I've never never had a tech editor uh, be be that thorough and that knowledgeable. You're most uh, so, welcome. So fantastic. Yeah, and I appreciate that. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap for this episode. You can find more about anything you've heard in today's episode by going to freethegeek.fm. That's freethegeek.fm. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love it if you'd give it a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Alternatively, please leave a comment in the episode discussion. I'd love to know what you think what you thought was good, what could do with a bit more work, etc, etc. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.